Clean contact. I hit it again because that shot was a defining moment. And when a defining moment comes along, you define the moment. Or the moment defines you. To the golf practice podcast. This is our weekly podcast show um, featuring a wide array of TGP coaches. Today I am joined, I think for the first time both of you are here, uh, by Peter Lionweber and Peter Donahue. Um, guys, it's very easy to confuse the two of you um, <laughs> based on your name, but, but thank you for being here. Hello, good to be back. Always good to be back, Andy. I'm going to be out of town for a couple of weeks, so uh, this will be... This will be all people get of you for a yeah, little bit. Yeah, for a while. Yeah, all right. Um, well, today, as we do every week, we have our number one story of the week. We have something that fascinated us, and then we have the question of the week. Um, the The number one story of the week, you know, as ch- it's always as chosen by one of us, this one was chosen by me, and it has to do with, with the Masters, and I... Partially, ha- uh, Hideki Matsuyama won, and it was kind of like a somewhat uneventful, you know, tournament and final round. Um, and I was thinking about last Masters, like Dustin Johnson won by so many shots, and I had this whole angle of like professional golf is super boring. But <laughs> but I'm not I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there quite yet because I there's this there's this woman who's on the Ladies European Tour named Meg McLaren, and she writes a blog about golf and like professional golf. It's pretty interesting. It's MegMcLaren.com if anyone's interested. And she was writing about the Masters, and I have there's two paragraphs here that I want to kind of read you guys and um, see what you think. And this is she's specifically talking about how um, did you guys both watch the at least the back nine oh, Sunday? Yeah, I did. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you know Matsuyama was up by quite a bit, and there's that that you know 10 minute window where we thought it might be a close match where on hole 15 Matsuyama hits it long into the water makes bogey and Xander makes a birdie or eagle um birdie yeah birdie and then on 16 so then it was only a one shot lead right two, two shot lead two shots two shot lead going yep 16. going into 16 Xander hits it in the water and it was basically you know over, over from there okay and so this is what what she writes she says For what it's worth, there's something about Xander I really like. His explanation of that shot on 16 held everything I'm trying to say in this blog. There are a million reasons someone in the final group on a Sunday at a major who has made four back nine birdies in a row could seemingly inexplicably throw away his chance just as soon as it has arrived. But the simplicity of why holds so much of golf's complexity. Having sought out advice from those with more experience, the ultimate wisdom that had been trust had been to trust the wind you feel in the moment on 16. As he said, they just got it wrong. Therein lies the reason why we all keep watching. Every decision, in hindsight, can display golf's intricacies. Did Hideki's decision to go for it on 15 show that he was, despite all the previous evidence, caught up in the moment? That his desire to win overtook his strategic sense? If he'd hit the towering iron shot into the middle of the green that we all expected him to, we never would have questioned it. Did Xander overthink the wind on 16 because he was trying too hard to hit the perfect shot, believing that's what he needed? Would he have remembered that piece of advice if it had been on Saturday, or would he have just trusted the wind he'd been playing all day? Every major championship, every round of golf, every shot, 
Inherent in all is something you can question. Trying to do so would paralyze even the greatest mind or skill set, but trying not to can also be destructive. That's surely why we keep watching or back Rory when he's in his worst form or come to leave the course after shooting 85 with a tiny fragment of optimism. We never know which way it will swing. Wow. I think she got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, – uh, that's the kind of golf course it is. That's the, the kind of tournament it is. You know, it ends up, like you say, your, your takeaway from it uh, – uh, initially is it it was uneventful and mm-hmm. yet you know how could it be you know it was uneventful all the way in I thought I love the way Matsuyama played all the way in I mean yeah he made bogeys but I mean they were solid he yeah. was he was in, he was never in trouble no uh he stood up to the moment uh you know, right down to the very end and uh and he proved you know to be um you know, a tr- tr- very attractive champion. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, good lord! And and you know, you want, uh, I, you know, it was uh, and and Xander's Xander was amazing. You know, we, we talk about all the things that we talk about and value around here, and 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 yet, you know, uh, when you see him interviewed at the end of that tournament, you you couldn't wish for more in somebody to have mm-hmm. gotten to that place in in. You know their acceptance of themselves and and the way the game goes. You know, hey, it's up up and down. Am I disappointed? Of well, yes, but you know, don't you worry about me. Yeah. You know, I hit that ball good. I just didn't hit the right shot. Yeah, he seems wise beyond his years. I yeah. remember an interview after the 2019 Masters. He got uh, tied for second, I believe, in that tournament, and he said. You know, I was there. I was right there. I know I can do this now. I know I can win this tournament. And so I know he did. He fell short, obviously, this year. But I'm going to assume that guy is going to be there again very soon, and and will eventually win one of these things. So, um, yeah, he was well spoken, and and he could have taken that as a huge negative for that that tee shot he hit on 16. But he had just come off four straight birdies. He had just jumped right back into the tournament. So I feel like there's a lot more positives he can take away than than negatives in that regard. So. Definitely. Yeah, and I love, I mean, one of the main reasons I liked her perspective on it is just that in golf, there's always, like, you never know what will happen at all. There's always a different way that mm-hmm. it could swing. Um, and so even if it's kind of a boring tournament or or really whatever, like, that's the reason that it's still exciting that people keep watching. Um, you know, we've been talking lately on this podcast about how we're sick of talking only about professional golf, but um, I think we'd be just as interested, like, whatever is on TV, whatever kind of golf yeah. there is, um, I would be interested to watch it. Yeah. Um, and there's something about that tournament, too. I know I heard Tiger a few years ago say that if he's within six shots going into the back nine, or excuse me, the, the second nine, he thinks he's got a shot to win. And maybe he's wrong, but it does seem like things can just flip on a switch. I watched the final round of the 96 Masters, which was more of a slow bleed for uh, Greg Norman, but... You can just see, like, even when Seve came back into it, he hit that ball in the water on 15, everything changed again, and all of a sudden, Nicholas looked like, or excuse me, um, that was 86. I'm mixing yep. up the years. But anyway, point being that that, nine, that second nine, anything can happen. And, and those, that little stretch of holes after Amen Corner, you can make birdies and you can make doubles. And 
things can come back like right like Xander he can bring himself back in a tournament like that and then boom it's all gone within one swing so you know they're they're that's such a cathedral there you know yeah. and then you feel the spirit so if you've followed that tournament for all those years I mean that's creating mm-hmm. you know really high drama because all those memories are walking with those guys and that's why uh Hideki getting it into the house to me it was like well every swing it was a test you mm-hmm. know I mean he wasn't. He could have rattled it into the trees and had a Rory McIlroy moment, yeah. you know. I mean, but what, what did he do? I mean, he absolutely trusted himself and just piped it. Yeah, you know, uh, with the weight of an entire country on his shoulders. God. I mean, uh, I can't imagine playing in the Masters, let alone playing with your con- with a country on your back like yeah. that. Yeah, I. One thing I wish they would have kind of like told us actually something about who Hideki Matsuyama is. Like maybe they yeah. don't know. I don't know. That's all they could talk <laughs> about was like he has so much pressure. It's the weight of the country. Yeah. Whereas if any other golfer was there, like if Lee Westwood was somehow winning, like yeah, everyone in England would be dying for him to win. But they would talk about how his son's his caddy and all these different things that mm-hmm. like help us figure out who he is. But with Matsuyama, they didn't. Yeah, like, I don't know anything about that guy. No, I don't. No, either. nothing. I don't either. And that's and I noticed that I was as I was watching it. You know, I thought, well, I'm not going to care about this thing because I, I don't know Matsuyama. Yeah. And then and so and then they said, well, he's the number two player in the world. Well, there's there's a. That's all I know about him. Yeah. yeah, you know, and as you say, there's no, there isn't any depth in his, there isn't any backstory. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, yeah. in my consciousness. So, no, so yeah. I got to shake myself up here a little bit. Yeah. Well, they don't. I mean, you. I'm sure we could do some research into more about him, but as you learn certain things about players just from watching the broadcast, and yeah. they don't, they haven't given us any no. information yeah. on who he is or. Or his cat, you know. Think about Spieth and his caddy. Like that's a, a story within, like the story. Yeah, we, every time we he know plays. all about Michael. You Michael know more Greller. about Michael Greller <laughs> than Hideki Matsuyama. Um, yeah, and I, I do know that Hideki is from a town in Japan called Matsuyama. That's what I know about him. How about Pretty it? cool though. Yeah. Huh. Now, yeah. Might as well just name it after him now. Just say that's what it's. That's how they got its name. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, all right. I any last thoughts about the Masters? Uh, yeah, Zalatoris. Oh. Oh. I mean, I thought uh, you know uh, that uh, he was. He, he, first of all, if if you didn't have the sound on, you'd have to wonder what that smirk was on his face because it did look like a smirk. You know, yeah. like, I know something you don't know, but then when he, you you, you learn about his story and that really he's he's been in. Uh, you know, he had serious downs mm-hmm. and doubts, and now all of a sudden he's this guy. Who's uh, oh, yeah. walking, walking with the, yeah, the gods best. of the game? Yeah. He, did you know that he was um, Scott Fawcett's first disciple? <laughs> That's the thing that turned yeah. him around. Is that his, right? Yeah. He That's went from cool. like the one thousandth ranked amateur in the world, and then started picking smart targets <laughs> and, and now it's like almost on the masters yeah because that's what he said um he said that he wasn't like he wasn't nervous or he wasn't intimidated playing the course for the first time because he knew he was you know choosing correct tar- targets um not very good at putting but he hits the ball 
pretty good. Yeah. He's not a good putter. I didn't I didn't oh. get that. No, he's like one He's like one his putting stats are way worse than every everything else. And so um, And the fact that he was one shot off the lead at yeah. the end of the tournament yeah. is pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. At Augusta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beat all those other guys. Yeah. I mean, wow. Well, that's terrific. Yes, and the last thing is Lee Elder. Um, mm. you know, I thought Elder was I thought he was the star of the tournament, uh, certainly yeah. in the you know the first two days. I mean, I've never heard anybody, you know, uh, so inspiring. Really, he was so gracious and so uh, celebrating the moment mm-hmm. and you know where it was in history and uh, the f- chance to be with Nicholas and player and. I mean, I I just it was wonderful. But were you watching and I mean following golf when Lee Elder like first played in the Masters? Yeah. What was? The, do you have anything to add about what that? No, I you know I don't have a great memory of it. Um, you know, I mean it was a it was a uh, you know a, the the up leading up to it was you know so much it was so long in coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the Masters, you know, just seemed to be this bastion of th- thumbing your nose at the world white guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. <laughs> well, they kind of still are, but. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, but you know what? I mean, they're, they're standing for better stuff now. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're actually a force for, for good in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think... Uh, when you go there, you know, you definitely get a sense that this may be like, uh, what was that movie that Tom Cruise was in about the law firm that was like the firm? Yeah. Is that what they call <laughs> it? It so. feels a little like the firm, <laughs> <laughs> that they're all, it's a secret society. Yeah. But, but you know, they all are. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> honestly, but, but are the proof is in the pudding. What are you producing? You can be a secret society, but, you know, if you're only producing for you know your your fr- you know your friends the richest people in the world then <laughs> yeah well yeah to me it's just like if maybe the two most popular courses in the world are like Augusta National and like St Andrews Old Course what do you say maybe Probably. I don't know they're at least they're you know everyone up knows certainly up there they're yeah. certainly up there and it's like the St Andrews Old Course is just like their you know the RNA's view of it is like this is a public park. Anyone can walk along the holes at literally any time of day, even when golfers are playing. Like on Sundays, it's closed, and anyone can come and take a picnic in the fairways. And Augusta is like, we'll allow 500 people on the grounds. <laughs> like, no one yeah. can ever play it. So, <laughs> sorry yeah. about couldn't that. Couldn't be more. Couldn't be more yeah, different. Just so different. But they're both like these incredible, like historic courses, and so it's just. Like for very different reasons too. Yeah, but it's like you don't have to be there this way. You could like things could be different, but it's. It seems like they're taking some steps in the right direction though, with the the women's amateur event, and obviously, I mean, small steps really like Lee Elder. Up the women's amateur. No, I'm just saying that. Do you those know the are, format of that tournament? Yeah, it's only one it's round. Nonsense. It is. I I'm not saying that they, they are. Play a pre- they they they. Play. It's a three-round tournament, and they pl- it's called the Augusta National Women's Amateur. <laughs> and so they talk about how what an incredible opportunity that Augusta is allowing women to play at the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Rounds one and two are at a different course, 
And then they pause the tournament and they have a practice round at Augusta that everyone gets to play. And the next day is the final round of the tournament, which is actually at Augusta. And so I I think they're a little like... It's like I don't look, disagree. I'm like, just saying it's of, a step. What kind of tournament has a practice round in the middle of the tournament? This is the most ridiculous Never I've heard ever heard. Like, <laughs> let's stop saying this is so amazing and start... I know. I'm, I'm Again, I'm not saying Augusta has has made themselves much better than they were in the past, but I am saying that it's a step in yeah. the right direction. Yeah. It's they, Maybe they can make it a three-round I mean, event or a four-round event. <laughs> drive, chip, and putt, which our very own Logan Keeter competed in, they, he said he got he got to warm up for this event. They got two minutes on the practice green, and like then they have to get off. Do they have someone like, with like a it. stopwatch? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, they don't even get to hit on Augusta's driving range. Like, uh, I just, let's... Need to cool it a little bit on yeah yeah stuff but all right let's let's move on (laughs) it's gonna be a long (laughs) long to talk about um guys something that fascinated you this past week who would like to go first I'll go since this can kind of wrap up our masters uh, conversation but um, I don't know if you guys saw the there's a video right after Hideki won on Sunday uh, his caddy goes out to the flag uh, the 18th hole flag and takes the flag off and puts the pole back in the hole. And then he sits there for a second and just bows to the 18th hole as if he's like bowing to the course. I thought that was so cool because I was like just a, I don't know, an homage to the course or just like a, I don't know what it was. I'd be happy to hear your guys' takes on that. But I just thought that video was pretty cool. It's a classic. I mean, that's an absolute classic photograph. Because all you could see was him. You couldn't see any fans. All you could see was the flag, the green, and then the caddy. It was pretty cool. Definitely. Yeah. What do you think he meant? I think just that. An homage to the experience, to the yeah. venue. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't imagine the emotions of winning the Masters for the player, but also for the caddy and his the rest of his team. Um, it's got to be pretty cool. Oh, yeah. But maybe that's just between him and him and the course. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> You have any thoughts, Andy? I'd, I'd, did you, you know, see the video? what you said, I did. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was great. I don't have anything more to. Yeah, I think it, you could just leave it at so that. I think if you haven't seen it. the video, I recommend going to watch it because it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's about six or seven seconds, but. Yeah, it's kind of like a painting. It's like, mm-hmm. let's not talk too much about it. No, yeah. no, no, no. Why is that? Well, like. Like you got great. <laughs> he, he's got a. Oh, I'm sorry. Everybody, no, 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 no. Oh, that's not what I meant. I meant like, like, uh, like if you go to like a museum and you see like a great work of art, um, there's something about just like w- watching it and let the art uh, like transform you or impact you, yeah. Um, rather than being like, what do you, you know, what do you think about how this was composed by the artist? And in the more we kind of or the more people talk about. Things like that, you know, kind of the the aura around it, less, you know, lessens. I think a little bit. So I well, think just I, I would just like rather than like what I, I just, people yeah. should go, you just could watch it and see the picture. Like I think well, it was, I think I was that, fascinated by it as well. I think the artist though, uh, you know, uh, wants you know wants to be evocative. Mm-hmm. You know, wants to like what does it mean to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, we don't know what it means to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know you you're oh, right. I mean to you. You, yeah, you know, okay. the, yeah. There you go. The, could speculate. That's yeah. a better question. The, well, the yeah. picture. You're yeah. right. I mean, for the experience, yeah. 
you know, you want to take in the art. You know, you don't mm-hmm. want to just take in the commentary from, yeah. from us. But, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, that string of uh, light bulbs that was curled up in the corner of the M- Museum of Mo- Modern Art in New York, you know, when we went there. I said, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Pete, do you have a Oh, a fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I tell you, I'm, I'm f- uh, fascinated. Uh, I've been fascinated by two things this week. One of them is what, I've start, what I started to call a long time ago the dance. Mm. And that is, that's the word I use for my exercise program. You know, because mm-hmm. I, I come in in the morning and, you know, I've done exercise, calisthenics, mm-hmm. and all kinds of different stuff in my life, but now I don't do that anymore. Now I start with uh, stuff that I, I start I start moving to the you know whatever music is on in the cube, and I do my postures and my stretches and just and do those things, and I'm kind of expanding it throughout the day. I'm seeing like I could do this anywhere. You know, one of the things that 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 I uh, got really fascinated about was a couple of weeks ago watching on 60 Minutes this Boston Dynamics and the robots they were building and how the robots were walking. It was very, it was uh, really uh, opened my eyes to walking. These, these little robots were so upright and they almost looked like they were sitting and their legs were striding out in front of them and stayed very flexed all the time. Didn't like, I think I walk much more straight-legged than that. Mm-hmm. And it started to turn me on to the opportunity of like practicing, you know, my physical fitness through walking. You know how Jansen took us through that mm-hmm. ab engagement a few weeks ago, and um, so I've just been seeing the opportunity to, uh, you know, exercise and reach greater functionality, not with any like formal practice session, but really just honestly throughout the day. So that's been fascinating to me. The other thing that's been fascinating to me is the notion of, you know, of measuring your your experience, you know, your round of golf. When we played um, a couple of weeks ago over um, over at Sunset Valley, my impression of my, you know, when I came off the golf course was like, wow, you know, on a scale of one to ten, your ball striking is like three, and this and this and this and this. And this. So then I started down, you know, do, going through my routine of ten best shots, you know, rating the shots on a scale of one to five, with one being the best, and 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 I ended up with a completely different impression of the round than the one that I got into my car with and I think that that's you know fascinating because we've talked about that you know the the way you whatever you're measuring that's going to be your experience Mm -hmm. and uh and you know you there is that experience you're having in the moment and then there's the experience that you have you know afterwards or you know sometimes it's right after the moment but in this case for me it was like after the round was it worthwhile? You know, what was the meaning of it? You know, and, and, and that's really, uh, you know, up to us to decide. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and uh, Shoffley did a great job of framing what it meant to him, I thought, I thought. And I think that the value of, um, you know, really doing a kind of an in-depth, uh, like, download or reflection after your round is really the way to, the way to go. You know, yeah. like the other day when you, you played at Sunset Valley, you had something to say about the round, and it was, what was it? Yeah, well, that... I played at I played at Sunset Valley a lot lately, so I'm not. Was it was it when we played together? Yeah, yeah. I remember you asked me. You said, "What did I shoot?" And I think you were joking. Just because that's the question. You know, we've been talking about that. That's how everyone defines the round. And um, what what I the way I kind of thought about my round is that I you know I play there a lot when North Park practices. We practice out there, so I play course a lot. And done do a lot of playing lessons out there. Um, holes, I just get afraid of hitting balls out of bounds, like a number one fear in golf. And so, like, holes one, water on the left, hole two, trees on the left, hole three, three trees on the left. I, like, never hit good tee shots on, on like, those holes because I'm just afraid of uh, get it hitting out of bounds. So I just kind of aim straight and hit a cut that usually like, goes into the rough or the trees on the right and I can still make par from there but it just doesn't doesn't leave me that like satisfied feeling and mm -hmm. but so like this year I said so but then also like sometimes then the times I do try to okay I can aim this left and it will cut back to the fairway the times I do that I just tend to snap hook it into the into the trees so um it actually happened this like this year I've been practicing driver a lot on track man it's, it was all it's been like five or ten yard fade like really consistently like really really good for like past two months felt really good about it really excited to go outside but then first time outside at sunset hole two snap hook left into the trees hole three <laughs> snap hook left into the trees hadn't hit a ball hadn't seen a ball curve left uh you know in, in four months so it's like so what do you do what do you do like what well, i literally i didn't know like what you do with that and so um so then i just just like um I just decided I switched back to my mini driver, which is my favorite club. It's like 13 degrees, and I hit it almost as far. I feel more confident with it for some reason, and I started just like aiming, like aiming straight and hitting a cut, and just like as long as I would curve right every time, like I was, I'd be happy. And then around that same time, I just decided that like this year I wasn't, I wasn't going to be afraid of hitting out of bounds. And I was just going to make stand up and like make, like confident swings, and not care about what the outcome was going to be. And so, like, when we played, like, I feel like I did that. Um, I can't remember if I lost any balls, but I, I know that I, like, took confident swings on the tee. And so, like, that was what, you know, that was my objective going in. And so I, the fact that I did that was, was like, pretty, was awesome. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. And so that, I guess that question, that relates to kind of my topic of fascination this week. I played, my brother and my mom were in town visiting because we just had a, a baby, so... Um, my brother and I got to play golf a few times. Um, always fascinating things happen when you play golf. Um, golf was, you know, something that we always did, like my brother, my dad, and myself, um, whenever we were together. And my dad died, so now it's just Zach and I. You know, he died last year. And so this, for the first round we played at Sunset, I, like, I brought my dad's putter. I thought it would just be like a, you know, I don't know, some, mm -hmm. you know, some part of him there, there with us. And, you know, Zach is a pretty good golfer. He doesn't get to play as much as you know, as me or 
practice all throughout the winter. So uh, we were playing at Sunset Valley the first day, and he like wasn't playing that good. Probably, you know, bogey or double bogey on the first four holes. Then we get to hole five, which is long par four, and he he's a, let's see, he's a lefty. So he pulled his drive right into the trees, and then he hit his next shot, punched it through, like up onto the mounds on the right. And so he's like really, you know, dead. You know, I don't know, didn't do anything. And he hit, and he hit this pitch shot from about like 60 yards. And I was up by the green already. And it, the ball took one bounce about three feet short of the hole. Then it bounced in the cup, and then it bounced out of the cup, and then it spun backwards up the hill back into the hole <laughs> for a birdie. And I've never seen a ball like I've never seen a ball do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, Were there like foam things in yeah. the cups? Mm-hmm. So that's why it like kind of bounced back out and then rolled. I guess, but I'm still trying to figure out like how did it bounce out and, and then spin. spun back up the hill? Like that's like, amazing. It was literally something I'd never seen before, and I, it was a moment where I'm like, I'm not someone who believes that like that like dead people are like I- impacting events on Earth, but I'm also like. How like how did that <laughs> like like I don't know you know I've seen the balls like bounce into the cup or hit the flagstick and drop in or hit literally the flag and drop down and in but I've never seen one like go in and out and then spin <laughs> back in back wow. I don't I, I, I you know I'm so glad you were there to see that because <laughs> you know from the fairway I'm certain he had he couldn't no he I don't ha- have a good view it. of yeah, it yeah. no and I've never. Uh, there's never been more action on a golf ball than, than that. Yeah. I've never heard of that in my life. Yeah. Yeah. So Going in, like, out, and then back in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that is. I think that was your old man. I I, I don't care what you say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, especially because like he hadn't been playing, and then from there on out, he was like one over for the next the rest of the round. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, weird, but it was it was really. That's pretty was exciting. cool. Yeah. Then. The next day, yeah, okay, so here we go. Next day we played at Mount Prospect on our favorite courses, and I shot even par. Mm. It's a good Ooh. round for me. But I played, but like more importantly, I hit confident tee shots. Normally I'm always in the trees at Mount Prospect, but this time I was good. And then, um, then yesterday we had North Park practice at Sunset Valley, and you know those three holes that I was telling you, one, two, and three, are never good for me, but. Yesterday I hit driver on one, fairway made birdie. Hole two, driver in the fairway made birdie. Hole three, driver in the fairway made birdie. Oh <laughs> first three holes. Wow, and what a start! Was, yeah, it was like first of all, never, I don't think it's possible to hit the fairway on those three holes. I've never done it or seen anyone do it just because they're kind of narrow and lots mm-hmm. of trouble on the left. But and then I ended up shooting one under, which was really fun for to do as well and I, I told pete this this weekend but i'll share it you know with the listeners and mm-hmm. you that um that there's a like george harrison one of the beatles he there martin scorsese did a documentary about him and in the documentary he has a quote where he he says he says um he says god he says god isn't just a big man up in the sky but also he is <laughs> and so <laughs> Um, and so kind of my, this is, you know, helping my philosophy of golf of like to get to a point where it's like, I, I guess in the past when I've talked and we talked a lot about like, how do you play golf and not care about the score Mm -hmm. or something or, and in the past for me, it's just like, 
I, I've erred too far on the side of just like, like apathy of just like not, not caring enough. Like I, I like finish rounds and I almost sometimes wish I like tried a little bit harder to shoot. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, Oh, I don't care about score. And it leads me to just like not, you know, not investing or engaging as much as I should. And so, um, or I could, um, and so like that quote, I think applied to golf can, can switch to like, I, I really care about what I shoot today, but also I don't care at all. And like mm-hmm. somehow holding those two things like at the same exact time, I think is, is maybe the point. Yeah. Maybe it's like, uh, during the round itself, you are very much so caring about how you're playing and how you're shooting. But then no matter if you shoot well or poorly after the round, being able to just kind of move on from it, that might be the, the solution to that. I don't know how you get to that point. I mean, no, but I think I could do that. I think I'm at that point. I think I could do it in the middle of the round. Cause I, cause I don't care want about it in the middle of the round or not care, care and not care. I think, you're, I think I'm working towards that. You should do both of them at all times. I think you can care about it, but while enjoying the other things about the game, that's not just the score. Yeah, but what happens if you make a quadruple bogey in your first three holes? That's, that's a hard, that's a hard part of it. You gotta be, you gotta be able to brush that off and not let it. That's where you have to care about it and not care about it yeah. at the exact same yeah. time. So maybe it's per hole or even per shot. You care about it during well, the actual you, shot itself, yeah. but then being able to drop the, the negatives if it is yeah. not a great shot. You know, you're, you're, uh, Yeah. Okay, here's the situation. Okay, here's the situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just is over and over again, right? And mm-hmm. and so uh, you know, the the beauty of the stories that Andy just told is that it started with um with a, a goal or something that he was measuring, you know, because he wasn't very good uh, at it. And then he said, you know, and he went out and had this experience and, and hit the shots without fear. Now, I don't know, you know, I don't remember now what he said about the outcome of that, that first go-round, the round that we all played together out mm-hmm. there. But it was the beginning of a learning loop, wasn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. you can hear it. You know, he played as good a golf as, as he could play, right? On, right? on the three most challenging holes on that golf course. And so, you know... You don't even need to play any more holes to have had a, hey, that was a good day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you can't take that. It doesn't matter what happens after that. No. Because that's, that's its own thing. Oh, oh, you couldn't take prosperity? You choked yeah. like a dog on the fourth hole? Yeah. Uh, I did three putt the fourth hole, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that pin, that's a tough, uh, sorry. Yeah. We hey, listen. We don't need a I mean, when you hole. finally get to the point where your round doesn't have to be perfect in order oh, to yeah. be uh you know, worthwhile. Well, you've gotten somewhere in my book, you know, I yeah. mean, a lot of times, you know, that all we have to say about it is, oh, see, but, you know, yeah, I did make three birdies in a row on the hardest holes on the golf course for me, but, you know, the story, but I wasn't everything. Yeah, I should have, I, I should have, I, I lipped out a putt and I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, everybody I, loses interest yeah. after the butt. Yeah. When you hear the butt, you're like, I'm out. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. care. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I did this. And you should spot. say that. Yeah. You, let's 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 uh, hold ourselves each other to that from now. On. Yeah. As uh, soon as the guy says, but that's it. I'm out. <laughs> I had a similar experience to you, Pete. Uh, last Friday, I played my first round left handed and during the round and then just after the round, I was I was kind of disappointed. I had I had hyped myself up all winter that I had this 
new new outlook on golf. I was going to play from the other side. I'd been working on my swing for months, and I was ready to go. And then on the surface, when I actually played the round, it felt like it went horribly. And then when I looked back at each shot in each hole and kind of rated them on a scale of zero to five, I have five as the best and not the, the worst. So ours are, our scales are flipped, Pete. But when I looked at it that way, I was like, wow, there was actually a lot of good shots I hit. And I also told myself, like, you've never played left-handed ever. This is like you're starting over in golf. Like, it's, com- it's completely foreign. So I definitely, once I let it digest for a night or two, I, I was able to um, look at it in a much different light than I did right after the round itself. So I think that's something we all can try to apply to every round we play, where in the moment you might be angry or disappointed in how you played or how you played a specific stretch of holes, but usually there's some positives sprinkled in there that you don't actually see right away until you look back at each each hole and each shot. Being able to, you know, change perspective, it, you know, takes practice. And so what Andy's describing is, well, he can change it now. You know, he's trained himself to be mm-hmm. able to change it, you know, in the moment. Yeah. Um, and w- what you're talking about is, well, you know, hey, yes, I, I can change it as soon as I reflect mm-hmm. s- sometimes. And, you know, uh, that's, it's a great practice. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? I mean, you know, it's it's because oh, yeah. you know you're going to continue to get to get better at that, and you're going to continue to to get more out of your experiences because mm-hmm. you're actually you know looking at them in, you know in depth at what it was that you valued and enjoyed, and then what did the game show you that when you when you work on that and make it better, you're gonna you're gonna have a great sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. in, in a. It really takes like thinking about it a lot, though, um, to do to do that. Yeah. Um, I I because I think to get to get to this place, I like asked myself, I was like, what type of like what type of player, what type of golfer do I want to be, kind of this year? Because in the past, I was the type of golfer that I let's say I'm trying to hit hit it, make it curve left to right, but I hit one to the left. I'm the type of golfer who goes, okay, uh, now on this next one. You just need to swing smooth and finish your turn and, and hold the club face in this way. And so I'm thinking all those things on the next tee, and it just never works out. And then I just keep, you know, so then you try something different on the ne- next hole, and it's just, and so this was the year. I was like, I'm just not going to do that, and we're going to see what happens. And so far it's working out well, but yeah. we'll see if it, you know, keeps up. Might not. How, might. how did the uh, the rest of the round go? Was it yesterday that you birdied the first three holes? Yeah. I how bogeyed four. Under. Yeah, I finished one under. one under. I bogeyed the nice. next two, but then I parred a bunch of them, and then I bogeyed, or birdied. Oh, yeah, then I birdied 12, and then I missed a short birdie putt on 15. Then I bogeyed 16. Then I hit one to the water on 17, made bogey. It was even going to the last, but then I hit a really good drive and a good 50-yard shot for a three-foot birdie to nice. finish, which was... Yeah, most of the time when I when I have shot when I shoot under par, it's because I will like birdie like two out of the last three holes, you know, like Mm -hmm. usually right. But I very rarely like get under par early and then like hold on to it. So I'm the opposite. I do that. I I just kind of like hang in there. I don't I don't I'm much better at playing under par than I was in late high school, early college. I'm able to like. We talked about this in like a few episodes ago about 
being scared to play under par and it takes experience being there. And maybe it's not yeah. just under par, being scared to break 90, being yeah. scared to break 80. You're just not used to that feeling. So you let other emotions take, get the best of you. But um, I'm the opposite. I usually get off to a hot start and then kind of just like, wow. all right, let's, let's, let's coast in. I learned that from Tiger. <laughs> get off to a huge lead just yeah. coast in yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah okay we have 10 minutes left before we have to go um our question of the day or of the week is usually kind of like a broad specific question but this one or a broad question but this week it's a specific question for you um pete be, and and the reason is that in the past podcast we've been talking jans and pete line weber and i have been talking all about kind of how cool we are that we use half set of clubs and different ways to play golf. And, and on the internet these days, like on Instagram, lots of people are switching to using less clubs and, you know, posting all these artsy pictures of it. And it's like becoming kind of like a trendy thing. Um, but you have been doing, you've been playing with less than a full set of clubs for a long time. And so I, I want to know like, what's the origin, kind of the origin story of this for you? Like, when, around when did it happen and why and, and what were kind of some joys or, or pains that came with the switch? Uh, the switch came uh, in the mid-80s. Uh, mid um, I had uh, been to Scotland and Ireland with a group of guys, great guys from Winneka, uh, that I knew when I was the head golf professional there. And uh, so we went on one one trip uh, to Scotland and then the second. Uh, and then we we actually took the ferry across and played a few golf courses in Northern Ireland. And then we went back again and we played, uh, we played all over Ireland. And when I got back uh, from the, the trip, you know, my experience was... Um, over there, it didn't really matter, you know, whether you were, um, you know, uh, 90 yards going into the wind or, you know, going downwind. It always seemed to be a three iron, you know, as a for instance. It was never, a, you know, never a four iron. You know, I started and I started paying attention to the clubs that I that I sort of favored. And um, and uh, so I pulled I pulled the evens out, and um, because I needed, to, I needed something. I really needed to uh, get off the idea of making perfect swings and you know measuring my rounds with, you know how solidly I hit the ball from, you know the specific yardage. You know I was still, you know I was a perfectionistic person in that manner and, and uh, obsessed over the mechanics of my swing. And so I, I was really looking to become more creative, you know, and to approach the game that way. And, uh, and so what I found was, you know, that I was regularly in between clubs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to figure out, you know, how to see and feel yardage and, uh, you know, be able to gear it down uh, or gear it up you know, a little bit. And, uh, and I found that it, it suited me. And my friends said, you know, you're really uh, at a disadvantage playing, you know, in these in tournaments, you know, without that set of clubs. And I said, you know, I don't think I'd play any better, honestly. If I had an eight iron in my hand, 
you know, maybe. But, you know, to me, the game was way more about the stuff that we're talking about. You know, how do you, what do you do in the face of opportunity? You know, do you scare yourself to death? You know, or what do you do, um, you know, about hitting a bad patch? You know, how do you pull yourself out? And um, so that, that uh, the idea started forming in my mind that I could become a better player, that I could become a good golfer, that I could be a scratch golfer. And, you know, that looked a certain way, you know, to me. Uh, and, uh, and I thought, well, you know, it's just becoming more skillful, that's all. At, and uh, so anyway, that's the way I went at it. And, and I never, uh, I, I always found, you know, when I competed, I loved to play in the PGA tournaments in the area because I love the environment. You know, there's a, something electric about a tournament environment. And, um, and so, you know, that I, that I never really uh, became any, you know, a player of note. I wasn't one of the, you know, the good guys get to play with the good guys. You know, there were, I didn't, I, you know, there were only a few times in my career where I got to play with the good guys. And I sometimes ask myself, did they make a mistake? Was there? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, I always, uh, but I always enjoyed the guys and the gals that, that I played with. And I, and I loved, uh, you know, just being exhilarated like that. And, and it was all part of the, the, the journey, like, right? You're not going to, hey, let's create some magic moments for ourselves. And I did. You know, uh, uh, and uh, and it started, you know, it started with that and it started uh, or I should say that was a big that was a big uh, that was a big step. So do you think you played better? You said you're playing in tournaments. Did you play better or even to the same level like score wise with with fewer clubs? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've you know I've I've shot under par. I've shot par. Um, you know, I I I'm, I'm quite confident that uh, you know that the game that I developed was first of all is more skillful than mm-hmm. the game that I would have developed if I'd kept all the clubs in my bag. Yeah, because I think most people would agree with that. That like, yeah, learning to to play with fewer would make you more skillful. But I think people, a lot of people have. A reservation of like, well, I'm not going to be able to shoot as good of a score as I otherwise could have shot. Well, I mean, it can be argued, I suppose, um, that, uh, you know, if you, you get out there and you know that if you hit a, a jump on it six iron, that the ball will fly higher. And if you're hitting an easy five, uh, you know, you're not going to get quite the same. Mm-hmm least as skillful as I am or am not mm-hmm. you're not going to get the quite the same action on that so yes you you may be you may have to choose a different line and uh and and uh and maybe a smarter line <laughs> that's sure well I think it takes practice I mean I don't think you just take half your bag out and then all of a sudden you're playing up to the level you were before but I think if you've do it for a few rounds or a couple weeks or whatever, and then then you start to learn how to hit these different shots, these sawed-off shots or these just being able to almost improvise with the club that you not wouldn't normally hit from a specific yardage that you'd hit a different club from. So yeah. definitely takes some, some practice. Yeah. yeah, 
And, and it's great practice. It's, yeah. way, it's way better practice than the practice I, I would do with a full set. <laughs> you got to use because your imagination. I, you know, yeah. I just hit nothing but full swings with a full set. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. And I have a lot of things I'm gonna, I would like to say, but we're out of our time. And, um, but, I, but I also have another idea that once you're back from your trip, Pete, you, like the three of us and Jansen, are going to sit down for a, like a mega podcast about half set uh, and it's going to be like the the half set manifesto and we're going to make wow. we're going to make the argument that you couldn't play better golf with with fewer clubs um cuz in the past we've t- you know we talked to play like yeah it takes practice and you try to s- craft shots and it's, it makes you see the game different and it makes you be creative but we're going to come for the people who only care about the score, and we're going to try to convince them uh, that <laughs> this right. could actually help their score. Okay, so it's going to take some preparation, but I think it's a good a good challenge for us. Very good. So. Great. All right, thank you guys for being here. Thank you. We'll thank talk you. to everyone next time. Clean contact. I hit it again because that shot was a defining moment. And when a defining moment comes along, you define the moment. Or the moment defines you. Come on.